Well, hello, everyone. I'm going to steal this, and Will's hat's going to go on the ground. You don't have a handy-dandy, like, pedestal. Pastor Chris gets people to move it for him on a Sunday morning. I'm not that special. Welcome, everyone, to Awaken. It has been a crazy, crazy week since you were last here, but welcome back. Uh, If you, like Josh forementioned, Merritt gets me to preach because he wants a major life event to happen, all right? He either wants his entire family to get the flu and to just be miserable, he wants to go on some amazing trip with his wife, or he wants his baby to be born. So there is little Abram. So he looks just like Ellis, if you've ever met Ellis. He's got the same amount of hair as Merritt, which is cool. <laughs> so there he is. So that is why I am speaking to you tonight, Merrick. Uh, so Merrick pulls me aside, like, I guess it was last week, and he says, all right, look, let's be real honest. My wife is big old pregnant. So be ready to preach at some point in the near future. And I was like, all right, I have one, like, prepared. Kind of, I mean, I say th- hoping that. Her due date wasn't until like the 11th or something like that. So I was like, I got a little, got a little while. We're Gucci. And then yesterday he gives me a phone call and says, all right, Emily's already like dilated. So like it could be pretty soon. But then I'm like, people are dilated for a long time. I've watched The Office before. Like we're good. And I was like, so we're Gucci. And then he gives me a phone call or he shoots me a text at like 930 this morning and says, all right, you're up. Yeah, more than likely uh, she's, he is coming today and he came today. So he shares a birthday with his mom. That's so special because today is Emily's birthday, which is so special. So you get me and I'm excited to be here. I always enjoy preaching to you guys. Uh, I feel like we've got to preach a lot to you this year. We're close friends now. It's great. I'm going to pray for us one more time and then we're going to dive into the scripture. So bow your heads with me. I just want you to take a moment and just pray for yourself. Pray that distractions from class, homework, relationships, maybe home life, the craziness that happened this week, just ask the Lord to remove those distractions from your mind right now. Call out to God and say, Lord, For these next few moments, let my sole purpose be to hear a word from you. Now that it's asked that you pray for me, pray that the distractions from my life just fade away. Pray that the Lord gives me energy to to bring the word that he has for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much just for these group of students. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you've given me to to bring your word to them, Father. And I pray that in these moments, you're, you're visible in our lives. We hear a word from you and we respond to it. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're stepping out of the Broken Cisterns Restored sermon series for this week because like I said 9 30 this morning I can't just pull a psalms it's really hard to like break down you got to do a lot of studying so I was like "Mm, not doing that so that's so we're in Acts 1 all right Acts 1 is obviously the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles so it's essentially what the how the church was formed how it was started after Christ's 
arose from the grave. Uh, I love this book. Me and my mentor group, our small group, we actually went through it uh, this fall. And we were like, at the beginning of it, we were like, man, this is great. And then towards the end, we were like, man, they just walk around a lot. So it kind of got dull. But at the beginning, like I said, it's great. And throughout it, I think if we look and see this is what the Lord has done to grow his church, it's great. So today I just wanted, tonight, I wanted to look into Acts 1. Because I think that in Acts 1, it shows us our calling, what we're meant to do. See, it is May. Every Justin Timberlake fan is excited because it's May. You know, you get his nice old school 90s face up on memes and things like that. That's my favorite meme all year long. You know, what, March is green, April is gray, but tomorrow, and then it's just a picture of Justin Timberlake. I love it. Like, I don't know why. I'm really lame. I enjoy really lame jokes. It's just every time I see it, I can't help but chuckle. And I, and I say it, and I, it's going to be May. I just say it like that. So that's it. So it's May. Summer is almost here. The light is at, at the end of the tunnel, is approaching. And most of you are probably going to leave the great city of Ruston. In the summers, the city of Ruston is very dead. Less traffic, though, which is nice. And you're going to go. Some of you will go home. Some of you will go to camp. Some of you will go across the world. And I think, just with the realization of what we're about to dive into these scriptures of what we are called to do. Man, I think it can change our lifestyle over summer, but not just for a summer. It can change our lifestyle for here on out. So, look with me. And at first, to understand what we are called to do, we have to first realize this, that we have what is necessary to do what the Lord has called us to do. All right? In order to do anything, we first have to have the confidence to do so. You know, I'm never going to ask that girl out until I actually just buck up and do it, you know. And in order for us to do what the Lord has for us, we must first know that we have what is necessary to do so. Starting in chapter 1, verse 1, we'll read, and it says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given his command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So in this passage, I want to look again a little closer at verse 3. It says, He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. All right, that word proof is a crazy word because it's literally a legal sense. It's not just proof, it's evidence, like a lawyer would give in a courtroom. So we know that we have what is required of us to do what we must do. And that first thing that we know is that Jesus proved that he was who he said he was. It says here, he presented himself alive. All right, so imagine the disciples before Christ's death and resurrection. They watched Jesus Christ do miraculous things. Heal sick, make lame walk, get rid of lepers, change water into wine, walk on water, stop the storms. I mean, he's magical. is incredible. But constantly he was saying, man, I must die. I must die and I will come back. I'm not going to leave you. All these things. And he was prophesying about the type of Savior that, and Lord that he was. See, and I don't think they ever fully grasped what it was. But then he dies, all right? 
And the apostles naturally, hope is lost. The Savior of this world, as he claimed, is gone. But miraculously, three days later, he rises from the grave. But he proves to them that he is alive. There's a New Testament scholar, his name is C.T. Craig, and he said it this way. He said, the early Christians did not believe in the resurrection of Christ because they could not find his dead body. They believed because they did find a living Christ. Every time he met with them, it was specific purposes to show them, to prove to them time and time again, I am alive. I defeated death. I am who I said I am. First time he sees them, they get a glimpse of his body. They realize, they recognize him. This is Christ. Then they touch his wounds. They feel his scars. In, Acts tw- or in John 21, he goes and it's the miraculous fish, but then he has breakfast with them. They watch him eat. They see him do bodily human things. He appears to a group of, at the most of 500 at a time. He proves to them, look, I'm alive, but more importantly, I am who I said I was. Why does this have to do with what we're calling? Because until we realize that God is who he said he was, we're never going to proclaim what He has for us to proclaim. We have to realize that we are serving a living Christ to do what we are meant to. But not only did He prove who He said He was, but two, He delivered on His promise. Reading in verse 4 and 5, it says this, He says, And while they were staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not so many days from now. Alright, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke also wrote the book of Luke. So there's no doubt that right here he's referencing back to something that Christ had already mentioned at the Last Supper. Reading in John chapter 14, it says this in 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father, and He will give to you a helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. Jesus promised them a helper. He told them who he was. In rising from the grave, he proved it to be true. But then constantly throughout, and the disciples didn't understand it, but he said, look, I am going to leave. It's necessary for me to. But you will have a helper. You will have an advocate. This is a promise that Jesus made to them time and time again. And if we honestly think about it, this promise made sense. Jesus ascending into heaven, him leaving, allowed his ministry to go worldwide. Jesus in bodily form could be one place at a time. Jesus in spirit form, the Holy Spirit within us, can be across the world. But not only did Jesus promise it, these guys were Jewish people. They read the Old Testament. The Old Testament promised time and time again that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God would be bestowed upon His followers. Look in Isaiah 44.3, it says, For I will pour my water out on a thirsty land, the streams of dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Joel 2, and I shall, and it shall come to pass afterward that I pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even those of the male and female spirits Servants, I will pour my spirit on them in those days. They knew that the spirit of God was coming because it had been prophesied for hundreds of years. And it culminated in Acts 2. Isaiah talks about he cannot wait for the cleansing fire of the spirit. And the spirit comes on tongues of fire. This was an event that they waited their whole life for. And it's an event that now, because it has happened, we have the Spirit with us. Stone hearts can become flesh. Man, wasted bodies can become purposeful. He has given us what He's promised. If we ever want to do anything for the Lord, we have to realize that one, He is who He said He was. Man, and He has fulfilled that promise in our lives. I took an apologetics class in seminary. And apologetics, if you don't know, is basically just like defense of your faith. So what we did in this class is we took arguments against God and used logic and just evidences to prove, to argue for God. It's a great class, really interesting. A lot of big, confusing books, but I loved it. It was great. Seminary nerd in me, I guess. Emily read papers for me and they didn't make a lot of sense. She said, I don't understand the content, but the grammar looks okay now. Now, because she fixed it. Get you a girl that will fix your papers, man. All right. But at the beginning of the class, the professor said this. He said, listen, I'm, what I'm going to teach you, man, will build you up, will give you confidence in the Lord. But ultimately, what I'm teaching you is for the outsider, is for the non-believer. He said, because a believer, he does not need proof. A believer does not need evidence to point to God. Because a believer has seen God work in their lives. He said, there's still the old lady at church. And he says, you know, that old lady who she's so sweet and she's so humble and horrible things happen to her life, but she knows that God's still there. And whenever people ask her, how do you know that God's still with you? Her sole answer is, I just know. I've seen him work in my life. I've seen him be with me my entire life. And he said, man, oh, to have the faith of that old lady. Guys, until we have the faith of the old lady in our church, until we realize that God has been with us, God is who he said he is, he's given us what he's promised to give us, we are not going to do what he's told us to do. And I think ultimately, one, we have to realize that we have what is necessary to do it. Two, we have to understand what it is we're supposed to do. So reading on in verse 6. It says this, so they come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So he brings it back and they realize, all right, so this is the culmination. We're finally getting what is promised to us. And they still focus on earthly things. Jesus, is this the time whenever you're finally going to take your rightful throne on this earth? See, a Jewish person imagined the Messiah to be a true savior on earth. Military leader, king, the true king, the true heir of David. He was going to create Israel, create Jerusalem to be the world power that it once was. 
And this is what these disciples longed for. They wanted to see the kingdom of heaven on earth through Jesus Christ. That's what they wanted. They wanted it in an earthly sense. See, so often we get our mind wrapped around by what Jesus wants us to do is what we imagine that he should. Salvation should be in the way that I see it. The way that he works in people's lives is the way that I think that he should do so. What he wants from my life is what I want from my life. He's just going to say, all right, let's do it. But you see Jesus Christ, he said, who are you to say what's the time that the earthly kingdom is raised? You do not have that authority. Only the Father in heaven does. To know what we're meant to do, we have to first put our hearts in neutral and say, Lord, we will do what you want us to do and not come at it with our own bias. In verse 8, it shows us, Jesus Christ tells us what real salvation, what real action he has in store for us. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Great Commission. All four Gospels and the book of Acts. The last words that Jesus Christ says on earth gets ascended into heaven. We're going to talk about it in the next verse. Spoiler alert. And he looks to these guys and he says, look, you have in your mind what you think a Christian, a Christ follower should be. You have in your mind what you think your life should be about. But he says, but I'm going to tell you that it is so different. He goes back to a legal sense. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. He says, this is not a hearsay word. This isn't someone that heard a rumor about somebody and said, oh, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to tell somebody else. This is firsthand account of what I have done. He's looking at these disciples and he's saying, look, you have watched me do my ministry. You have looked at me now as I have beaten death. This is what you are meant to proclaim. This is the Savior you are meant to show. We are meant to show our firsthand account of who Christ is. I can sit here and I can read you story after story of this crazy celebrity who found God and now they're a Bible-believing Christian. And it's a great story to hear. I can read you how this person turned their life. I can tell you this, but the power is not behind it because the story is not my own. But if I look and I have a conversation about what the Lord has done in my life, man, that is something that cannot be refuted because I know it's to be true. I know every detail. I know the brokenness I was before, and I know the restoration that I stand in now. He's saying, my sole purpose for you is to show people who I am by your firsthand account of it. Preach my gospel, but show your own life change. He goes further and he says, I want you to do this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, where they were right then. All right? He said, stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes. All right, start working in Jerusalem. Where we are now, the Lord has us so that we can be his witness here. Judea, their homeland, their country, where they're comfortable. You're, some of, a lot of you are about to go home to people who love you, who care for you, who you can have conversations with God about, and it's not that awkward, it's not that weird. The Lord wants you to be a witness there. 
Samaria. Samaritans hated Jewish people, and Jewish people hated Samaritans. Samaritans thought Jewish people were pompous. Jewish people thought Samaritans were dirty and half-breeds. But Jesus says, look, I not only want you to take your witness to where you are now, where you're comfortable, but you have to go to places that are uncomfortable. You have to be a light in places where people may not want you to be one. He says, that's what I have for you. And then finally he says, to the ends of the earth, the mission is not over. Think for a second that these faithful disciples are the reason we're here today. They didn't look at Jerusalem as their end ground. They didn't look at Judea as their end ground, Samaria as their end ground. They went to the ends of the earth, and that's why we are here. Merrick said this so many times, and it can't be more true. The gospel came to you because it was on its way to someone else. Guys, we are never meant to stop proclaiming this. We are never meant to stop being his witness. I mean, let's look at these disciples in the rest of the book of Acts. In chapters... Sorry. Chapters 1 through 7, they preach in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, 8 through 12. Then finally they get to Rome and thereafter in 13 through 28. The book of Acts alone shows how they did this. Shows how they went out and they went to each place they were meant to go. So we know that we have what we need. We know that Jesus is who He says He is. We know that the Holy Spirit is within us to empower us to do so. And we know what we're meant to do, and that is meant to be a witness. But the story doesn't end here, and I think it ends with the most profound section of this text. Look at me in verse 9. It says, And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up. And a cloud took them out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood with them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Ultimately, we can know that we have what's necessary. We can know what it is we're meant to do. But this all comes to a point is that we have to do what the Lord has called us to do. I mean, let's again put ourselves in the disciples' feet. All right, let's say I'm Jesus. I'm not. We'll go ahead and say that. Not Jesus. But what if I just started getting lifted up? Be weird. Started ascending. Clouds formed underneath me like Dragon Ball Z. And I went up. And maybe I'll like shoot up so I can get through this roof because that would probably hurt. I'd bonk my head. And I'd go through and I went up. Okay? I'm not here anymore. What would be your first response? Well, okay. Wow. Weird. There's a hole in the ceiling now. Where'd Braden go? He got lifted up. I think this is funny. This really has nothing to do. They thought that he got lifted up. The actual physical, I mean, let's think. Jesus could have went to heaven. He could have said, boom, I'm in heaven. You know, snapped, heaven. Why do you have to be lifted up? It's because the people of the day were like Kyrie Irving. They were flat earthers. So, you know, flat ground 
and then heaven's up there. You know, it's not heaven's all around us, you know, like we think today, heaven's everywhere. You know, heaven's all around us because we know that it's not just up, you know, it's around, you know, there's, out, there's outer space that way, outer space is that way. I mean, it's, but heaven's up and here is down. So he lifted him up to prove again that Jesus Christ is where he is meant to be. He's in heaven. His throne, that's where he is seated. And they watched him arise and then they stand there and they look to where he was going in awe. Guys, the awestruck of our Savior is not anything to be ashamed about. But time and time again, I find in my life, I'm so busy just staring into heaven. We worship a great and mighty God. I've watched the Lord do mighty things in my life, in the life of people I love, in the life of this church. And it's easy to stand and look at heaven and say, what a great God we have. Francis Chan kind of tells it in this way. He says that a lot of times church today is we, it's like a football team that comes into a huddle, okay? Comes into a huddle, tells a play, and everybody's like, that is a great play, man. We're about to score a freaking touchdown. Let's go. And they say, quarterback says, ready, break. And they run and they go sit on the bench. 15 seconds pass of very awkwardness, I'm sure. And they run back to the huddle. And they say, man, that was a great idea of a play. It would have worked flawlessly. What's the next one? And they say, oh, man, that's a great play. I got so much out of that play. That play really made me just see what a great coach you are. Like, gosh, our coach is awesome. All right, break. And they run and they go sit on the bench. See, we come to church services week after week, two times a week, three times a week, Bible studies, and we look and we say, our God is a great God, and that is necessary. He is But let's look at, see, the angels looked at them and said, Men of Galilee, what are you doing staring into heaven? Do you not realize that the same way he went, he will come? Do you not realize that we are living in a place where there is time on the clock? And it's ticking down. These guys hit the ground running. The next chapter, 3,000 got saved. Because they honestly believed... That man, Jesus is coming back any second now. That's what they thought. That's what they knew was going to happen. I heard evangelists say once whenever I was in seminary, the difference between the church of Acts and the church of today is that we have lost our sense of urgency. They began to lose it in the Bible. We can read in Peter, and in 2 Peter he says, The Lord is not slow to fill His promises as some count slowness. But he is being patient towards you, not wishing anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter had to preach to his church and say, look, God's being patient with us, but that doesn't mean that he's not keeping his promise See, we live our lives with a lack of urgency. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the great thing is to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it were our last, but planning as though the world might last a hundred years. 
So often we're living every day, man, like we have a hundred more years behind us. We're living days without purpose. And we're not planning like, man, I have another chance to preach the gospel tomorrow, to share my witness tomorrow. Wednesday night, a tornado came through Ruston, as you all know. Hopefully I'm not the one you hear this from. And I live behind Lowe's. So the tornado, was actually, was with Jesse. And uh, we were getting lunch, and Jesse showed up, and he, Jesse tried to eat by himself. And we were like, you can come eat, sit with us, Jesse. So he came and sat with us. And Jesse showed us a picture. Hey, look at the path of this tornado. And he showed me where it hit Barnett Springs, because that's where Jesse lives. And I was like, that is so close to your house. Like, wow. And then I was like, hold on, let me look at that. And I grab his phone, and I zoom out, then find Lowe's, zoom in, and then I look right behind Lowe's, and I'm like, hmm, that's my house under that yellow line. That's real weird. So the tornado went right over my home. So I'm laying in bed Wednesday night asleep because I, I like to sleep. It's a good thing. And the alarm goes off on Emily's phone, my wife. Wakes her up, doesn't wake me up. And she wakes me up and says, Braden, we have bad weather coming. And I'm like, Emily, we're fine. And she says, Brayden, are you sure? And I'm like, Emily, we're fine. Stop. Because, I mean, if I'm honest, my wife doesn't like bad weather. And she can be dramatic about it sometimes. <laughs> sometimes her dramaticness is good as Wednesday. All right? So we were laying there. And she was like, all right. And then a couple more minutes go by. And I can feel the, like, anger fuming from her body. Okay? <laughs> And she goes, Brayden, I think we need to get up. And I said, Emily, I said this. I didn't win Husband of the Year Award on Wednesday night. I'm going to be honest. I said, Emily, you're being dramatic. We're fine. And she lays there, and then I just feel it. She angrily gets up, snags her pillow, snags her blanket, and stomps out of the room. And like a great and loving husband, I was like, mm, I'll deal with that tomorrow. <laughs> So I'm laying in bed, and I hear her slam the door behind her because she wanted me to know she was mad. And she goes and gets in the bathroom like she should have. I'll, I'll put that in there. Very wise move on her part. And I'm laying in bed and thinking, we're fine. I don't care. I'm half asleep. And I'm laying there. And then I hear like a wind whistling. I'm like, mm, okay. And then I'm laying there, and the power goes out. And I'm like, hmm, Okay. And then I begin to hear like a louder whistle and a somewhat of a and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and then I hear this dog screaming in the background and I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> and then I begin to feel this rumble and I'm like, I think I should get up. <laughs> so I get out of bed, walk out of my bedroom, see Emily in the bathroom and go walk and look out a window. And I have my flashlight, and I'm looking out the window, and I see across the street, there's them with their flashlight looking out the window, and I see over there, there's them with their flashlight looking out the window, and we all like wave at each other with our flashlight, because we're all idiots, all right? We're all at windows. But then I look, and we have this little flag in our front yard, and this thing is like, and I'm just like, okay, that's a heavy wind. And then I look past the little flag, and I'm just looking out at the outside, and I'm like, 
what is going on? And I see like, and I'm like, I'm like those guys in that video that took over Twitter. Bro, it's right there, bro. And then the door, and then the door opens and they're like, ah, and I'm just like, that's so funny to me. But I'm honestly, I'm, I'm looking outside and I don't say, oh my gosh, I'm in a tornado. But now knowing I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I was in a tornado. I looked at it. And I was just standing there, and after I saw that, I was like, let me go get out a bigger window and check this out. <laughs> and I watched a tornado literally roll down my road, okay? And I watched the tornado die, I watched the winds go down, and then Emily was in the bathroom, I, it was calm. I was like, Emily, we're Gucci, let's go to bed. We get in bed, about 30 minutes later, we wake up to a phone call from one of her friends that lives in Little Rock asking if we're dead, and then we have text message after text message of, are you guys okay? Hibbit Sports got hit. You're right by there. And then Lowe's got hit. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? And then I was like, well, this was bad. Wesley texts Emily and says, y'all need to go like outside and check your cars. And I went outside and there's white stuff all over my car. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. So I was like, our cars are fine. No trees on them. House is fine. No trees on it. We're Gucci. We're fine. And now I lay awake until about six in the morning. And then get up and come check on the depot because, you know, we got to check on our homeland here. And I realized that that white stuff on my car was insulation from a house behind us that got smoked. While I'm gone, I didn't notice this because I'm very unobservant, but a tree was down in our backyard about a foot from our house. My wife sent me a picture of it. I said, hey, did you see this? Hey, no, I didn't. And a tornado rolled through Ruston. Devastation came with that tornado. Loss of life, loss of home came with that tornado. And I laid in bed saying, ah, we're good. Devastation lives in this world around us. Loss of life, loss of eternal life, man lies in its wake. But so often I stand around and I say, ah, we're good. They're good. We have tomorrow. We have the next day. Somebody else will do it. I'm focused on me and God right now. These angels looked at them and said, Don't you realize that He is coming back in the same way? The world is going to end, guys, and we must act. It's our job to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And not just be caught up staring into heaven at the great and mighty Father, but looking out at what he's told us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story that you have shown us. I thank you for Lord, just showing us that you are right now. You're alive. You are not dead. You are seated on your throne. Father, I thank you for the wise words of your your angel saying that you will return. Father, and I pray that I can see you in your glory on that day. I can see you descending to take your rightful place as Lord of this earth. Father, and I pray on that day, you find me doing what I'm supposed to do. You see me at my post, 
witnessing to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Father. And I am sorry for the days that I've spent not looking at what you've told me to do. I'm sorry for the days that I've said just staring into heaven, but not staring out at the devastation that relies around me. I'm sorry for the days that I have not been your witness. Father, and I pray that that Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray that you give me a heart of flesh and a broken heart for those around me. I pray that you do that with, this, with these students here tonight, that you put a broken heart of flesh in all of them and they see that they can start today in their Jerusalem and they can watch your word spread to the end of the earth with their faithfulness. I pray that we stop acting like we have a hundred years in front of us and we start living like the world's going to end. As we enter into a, uh, a time of invitation, Josh and the band will be singing. And man, I encourage you, lift praises to the Lord. He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be known what an awesome God He is. Man, but I just ask that you take a little bit of time and you look in your heart for what the Lord has from you to do the mission that He's called you to do. I fully believe that you just ask the Lord to show you one person who you know needs you to witness to them. I believe that He will be faithful to show you. I believe that if you ask for the Lord to give you a broken heart of flesh, He will be faithful to give it to you. The Lord can use anyone. The Lord just has to use people who is willing. And I pray that during this time, you make yourself that. Maybe you realize that your heart of stone has never been given a heart of flesh and you've never received what has been promised to you because you've never realized that the Lord is alive and He is here to save you and the world around you. And I pray that you accept a Savior and that you use your story, use your witness to proclaim His name. Y'all can stand, y'all can say seated, but respond as you see necessary.